Our scripture lesson for today is taken from John chapter 19, uh, beginning with verse 16, John 19, verse 16, and as you're turning there in your Bibles, I would like to uh, thank Dirk Andropon for leading our singing this morning. I'll also thank uh, Jason Stark for helping with all the uh, technical concerns and uh, live streaming this morning. Greatly appreciated, both of you brothers. But hear God's word, John 19, uh, beginning with verse 16. This is the word of God. So he, that is Pilate, delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, This man said, I am king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one place from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, Behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand through the ages. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you. For the word of God, Uh, we thank you that you have given it to us, Father, uh, to reveal not only your glorious character, but to show us your gracious love for us and your Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you as well for the Holy Spirit that helps us to to hear, uh, to understand, Uh, to live out, Father, these gospel truths and 
Pray that you would be at work in each of our hearts uh, this morning, conforming us to the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. What would it have been like to be a witness, a humble witness, to Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem on that Lord's Day that we call Palm Sunday? We would see Jesus riding a donkey as the large crowds were laying down palm branches on the road. We would hear them crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. You know, but contrast the joyful events of Palm Sunday with the painful events that Jesus endured on Good Friday. A series of unfair trials before the religious and political leaders of his day. And then painful scourgings. Finally, Pilate delivered Jesus over to be crucified. Here in John chapter 19, beginning with verse 16, and encourage you to keep your Bibles open, but here in John chapter 19, uh, we see Jesus, our, our Savior, as he heads out to Golgotha in humble obedience, bearing his own cross. Pilate inscribed a placard for Jesus, We see the soldiers as well shooting dice for Jesus' clothes. A smaller crowd surrounds him at the cross as he speaks his final word and then gives up his spirit. We may ask the question, why Palm Sunday? Why the cross? And here in John chapter 19, uh, we learn that Jesus went to the cross in loving humility to save unworthy sinners. Well, how does Jesus' crucifixion then give a salvation to unworthy sinners, sinners like you, sinners like me? And three parts uh, to this outline here. We'll see first a public crucifixion of Jesus, uh, then a prophecy completion and Finally, a a powerful communication. Uh, We begin here in John chapter 19, verse 16, with the public crucifixion of Jesus, focusing especially on that title for Christ, King of the Jews. Uh, When you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see there are uh, differing accounts of, of Jesus last week here. Uh, But those can easily be harmonized. Uh, John has some unique distinctives here. And so let's pick up uh, God's word here uh, with uh, John chapter 19, verse 16. You know, the scriptural spotlight we'll we'll see um, here in John, and, and I believe in all the Gospels, is on Jesus. You know, keep that in mind. On Palm Sunday Uh, the week that has been called Holy Week on Good Friday, even as Jesus is is being crucified for our sins on the cross, his death, his burial, uh, the spotlight is always on Jesus. And five truths here about Jesus in these opening verses. Uh, First, we see a providential plan uh, for Jesus' crucifixion. 
So he, we read, Pilate delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus. Uh, Looking at the pronouns there, the pronoun they most likely refers to the Roman soldiers. The chief priests, the Jews, had no power to uh, to crucify Jesus. So these Roman soldiers take Jesus and they head out to the cross uh, by the commands of Pontius Pilate. Uh, Pontius Pilate was a Roman procurator in Judea. Uh, The memorable quote from uh, Pontius Pilate uh, we can find earlier on in John chapter 18, verse 37 and 38, when Jesus is being tried before him. We read John 18, 37. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered him, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What is truth? With Pilate, he seems ready, he seems reluctant to condemn Jesus. It's the chief priests who are ready. But Pilate is fearful of the Jewish leaders. He's fearful of their threats. And finally, on this preparation day of the Passover, Pilate seeks to wash his hands of the matter, to to hand Jesus over to them. Think of Pilate as an unrepentant sinner. Now the spotlight on Jesus uh, the, the spotlight is not on Pilate, not on the chief priests, not on the Roman soldiers, not even on that gathered crowd of women uh, there around the cross. We read here in, in John's Gospel, verse 17, and he went out. You know, Jesus was not drugged out of Jerusalem. Jesus went out. Elsewhere in scripture, uh, we can read Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Jesus set his face like a flint for Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus prophesied his crucifixion. He went out with power and purpose. And it's important to note that he went out. He went outside the camp. Uh, As the sin offering, that that sin offering, the remains uh, were taken out. Uh, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 27. Uh, We read this, God's word, Leviticus 16, verse 27. And the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And again, that's picked up in Hebrews where we read that Jesus suffered outside the gate. You know, in God's providential plan, Jesus went out of Jerusalem. And he is bearing his own cross. You know, there is a 
a link here to, again, to the Old Testament. Uh, many of you are familiar with the account in uh, Genesis, uh, chapter uh, 22 of Abraham sacrificing his one and only son, Isaac. We read this, Genesis chapter 22, verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they both went out, both of them together. You know, here Jesus says the sacrifice is, is carrying his own wood. He is carrying his own cross. From the other Gospels, we learned that after a time, uh, Simon of Cyrene uh, picked up the cross of Christ. You know, but here Jesus bearing his own cross in spiritual strength and pain and steadfast obedience. G. Campbell Morgan writes, he went out bearing the cross for himself, no victim, but a victor. Uh, so the, the providential plan uh, for Jesus' crucifixion. But there is the place of Jesus' crucifixion. It's called the place of a skull. Aramaic is Golgotha. We don't read it here in John's account, but the Latin name is uh, the word from which we get the word Calvary. You know, there's some discussion, Bible scholars today, uh, where is Golgotha located? There's a spot outside of Jerusalem called Gordon's Calvary. The, The hill there looks like a skull. Uh, that's a, a common spot where, uh, where visitors to, to Israel go uh, to see uh, Golgotha. Lynn and I had the privilege of being there, but there's another spot inside of the walls of Jerusalem, the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. But throughout all of this, in the place, we'll see that John's emphasis, as D.A. Carson tells us, John's emphasis is on the sovereign plan of the Father and the Son's obedience. So a providential plan, the place of Jesus' crucifixion. And then the pain of Jesus' crucifixion. You know, note, you know, as you read through all of the gospel accounts, you know, the emphasis is not on the extreme suffering of Jesus. And indeed it was extreme physical suffering. You know, but here in John's gospel, just three short words in the Greek. There, him, they crucified. Cicero called crucifixion the cruelest and foulest of punishments. Extreme pain. One of the the reasons for pain was uh, the nails that that pierced the the hands or the wrists of Jesus, the feet of Jesus. Read about it in John chapter, or later on in John's gospel. Uh, It said that terrible pain racked the entire body, heart failure, intense headaches, unquenchable thirst, said there was a struggle to breathe. 
I've heard some who have been uh, battling the the COVID-19 virus go through similar sufferings, but even that pales in comparison to the suffering that, that Jesus endured, to the pain of Christ's crucifixion. And to add another layer to that, Christ was crucified between two criminals. You know, no mention of the, the repentant thief, but there was pain and humiliation, even for Jesus dying between two criminals. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 12 tells us, Isaiah 53, 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. A providential plan, the place of Jesus' crucifixion, the pain of Jesus' crucifixion, and as well we see a a placard Uh, that is placed upon the cross there in verse 19. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. You know, written in three languages, Aramaic or Hebrew. They're they're very similar. Aramaic was what the Jews, the residents of Jerusalem, would speak. Latin was the legal language of the day, the language of Rome. Greek would have been the lingua franca, the the language used by both Jews and Gentiles in everyday language. And John here gives us the most complete title on this inscription, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. You know, look at each part of that title given for for Christ, even by Pilate. First, it's Jesus. Matthew 121, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. But then it's Jesus of, of Nazareth. You might remember the the cry of Nathaniel when it, when he saw Jesus or heard about Jesus. You know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then he is called the King of the Jews. Pilate wrote it to mock the Jews. You know, if you want a king, here's your king hanging on a cross. But it's a true title. Here in Acadiana, we would say true debt. He's king of kings, and he's lord of lords. But look again. Many, verse 20, many of the Jews read this inscription. You know, why, why was that placard there? It's so that all could read it in their own language. And, and with this special focus on God's chosen people, the Jews, you know, who at this point seem so resistant and rebellious against the gospel. You know, it's a public crucifixion for all to see. 
And still with the crucifixion, there is a protest by the Jews. There's an unrighteous indignation there. We read in verse 21, they complained to Pilate, Pilate, don't write this, the king of the Jews, you know, but rather this man said, this man claimed to be king of the Jews. And no love lost between Pilate and the chief priests. And Pilate said, hey, what I've written, I've written. Case closed. You know, here the public crucifixion of Jesus. You know, it may seem a, a striking scriptural passage to be preaching on, on this Palm Sunday. But so many of our, our hymns speak of that gospel truth of, of Christ our King. You know, our very first hymn, All Glory, Laud, and Honor, the first verse reads as follows. All glory, laud, and honor to thee, Redeemer, King, to whom the lips of children made sweet Hosanna's ring. Thou art the King of Israel, thou David's royal son, who in the Lord's name comest, the King and blessed one. Later on we sang, Thou good and gracious King. You know, Jesus Christ is our King. Children's Catechism teaches us he rules and he defends us. The Shorter Catechism goes on a little bit longer, tells us Westminster Shorter Catechism 26, as our king Christ executeth the office of a king in subduing us to himself and ruling and defending us and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. And what was the last enemy to be conquered? It was death itself. That's what a king does. He defends us. He delivers us. He graciously destroys death. You know, so in Jesus' public crucifixion, we see his loving humility, bearing his own cross, dying between two criminals, the placard on the cross. There, there is no uncertainty about who died on the cross. It's Jesus. Yes, Jesus of Nazareth. Yes, Jesus, the King of the Jews. And yes, Jesus, Son of God, Savior of sinners, the public crucifixion of Jesus. A long first point, but the second truth here, there's a prophecy completed about Christ's clothing, verses 23 and 24. You know, uh, uh, interesting, uh, a captivating scene here. Uh, this division of Jesus' clothing, the New American Standard uh, translates verse 23 as follows. The soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts, a part to every soldier and also the tunic. And now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece, it seems that Roman soldiers, like military personnel today, received the minimal pay. And uh, so they rightly claimed the clothing of the crucified ones, like Jesus. They snatched his clothing. Uh, most likely, the four parts would be the headgear, 
sandals, belt, and an outer coat. They divided those up, four soldiers, uh, four parts to Christ's clothing. But then they came across the tunic. And that tunic is to be highlighted. It's a long, seamless garment worn next to the skin. A similar garment was worn by, by the high priests in the Bible. Significant because it's seamless. And what do the soldiers do? They start casting lots. To put it in today's term, we would say they're shooting dice. Remember a sermon title from uh, years ago. The sermon title was Playing Games at the Foot of the Cross. That's what the soldiers were doing. You know, they weren't looking up to the crucified Christ. They were looking down at the ground. They were looking at Jesus' clothing. They were concerned about who will win this tunic. Sinful Roman soldiers playing games at the cross of Jesus. And unknowingly, the soldiers fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. That's why we read Psalm 22 for our responsive reading today. And especially there, verse 18, let me read it for us again. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. You know, that, that, that was prophesied uh, before Christ's incarnation, before the crucifixion. They divided his clothing. One commentator said, the garment is more valued than its owner. And so the soldiers did these things. The Lord sovereignly used, it said, soldiers to fulfill scriptural prophecy. You know, but there's a gospel word of comfort and reassurance for us here. The presence of pain and suffering does not mean that our sovereign God is absent, asleep, or inattentive. You know, the the Lord knew thousands of years beforehand, the scripture tells us this prophecy about Christ's clothing. You know, in this same God cares for us as a design for our life as a scriptural plan for our salvation, the God who created us as well has chosen us in Christ from before the foundation of the world. He sent his son to die for our sins. You know, this prophecy completed about Christ's clothing. You know, been doing a lot of reading Online, probably too much reading. In this pandemic period of social distancing, self-quarantine, one of the interesting things I learned, it said that families are returning to board games. I'm sure there's an escalation in Netflix and video games online, all that, but games are a fun family activity. You know, but here we see Roman soldiers greedily gambling before the crucified Christ, yet the Lord used them to fulfill scripture about Christ's clothing. 
The problem was, and here's where I think it speaks to us today, they focused on games and garments and failed to see God's grace in Christ. That's still still a sinful temptation for us today. So brothers and sisters, my prayer is that we would all take time in these days of trial to read God's word. Not play games. I mean, it's okay to play games, but take a break from the games. You know, read a gospel. Read John's gospel. 21 chapters. We still uh, seven days before Resurrection Sunday. Read, reflect, rejoice. I know many are struggling to rejoice in our circumstances, but let us rejoice in Christ. Christ, our crucified Savior. And so finally, there's a powerful communication of Christ's love. There are verses 25 through 27. Uh, there, there's a crowd, I'll call it a crowd at the cross. They're standing by the cross, is what uh, John 19 verse 25 tells us. A glorious gospel detail. We know there are at least four Roman soldiers stationed here by Jesus. Now there's a gathering Best accounting of of four women by Jesus, his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Only John mentions Jesus' mother, but even then, not by name. His mother's sister, presumably Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. The apostle John is also included in this crowd. He's the only one. Uh, of the 11 remaining disciples there. And, and now Christ communicates his love. We hear Jesus' words from the cross as he views his mother and the disciple whom he loved, and that's a clear reference to John. And he tells, we hear these words, Woman, behold your son. Similar words that Jesus used there when uh, Jesus performed his first miracle in John chapter 2. You know, why, why woman? You know, it, it's a polite reference. Yes, to, to his own mother. And, and to be clear here, Jesus calls his own mother not to behold Jesus the son, but to behold a new son in the faith, John. You know, there's a new faith family here, and that becomes more clear in the next section. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And so you see that mirror image. Woman, behold your son, John. Now, well, first... Woman, behold your son, John, and now uh, to, to the woman. Woman, behold your son. And then from that hour, uh, the disciple took her uh, to his own home. Jesus did show sacrificial love, selfless love for his mother. He followed the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. John swiftly obeyed Jesus' command for him to care for Jesus' mother in his own home. 
bringing this home now. A few scriptural takeaways for us. The crucified Christ remains at the center of this gospel passage. You know, it's not about Pilate, the Roman soldiers, about any of the four women. It's not about Jesus' mother. It's not about the Apostle John. It's all about Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. It's about Jesus' death for our sins on the cross. That's why we rejoice each Lord's Day. That's why we rejoice on this Palm Sunday. If you're like me, I know many of you are struggling. Palm Sunday was a joyful Sunday. Uh, Here at Hope Church, our covenant children would proceed into the church waving palm branches. I can picture them even now. And they were singing that, that hymn, Hosanna, loud Hosanna, The little children sang through pillared court and temple. The lovely anthem rang to Jesus who had blessed them close folded to his breast. The children sang their praises, the simplest and the breast. A small area of struggle. I know many of you who have serious struggles. You might have been diagnosed with the the COVID-19 virus have friends and family who are suffering with it now. You might be out of school, out of work, furloughed, fired. Maybe you're getting cabin fever at home with family, close quarters, or maybe all alone. You're anxious, you're fearful. As Christians, what can we say, what can we do here on Palm Sunday that would give us gospel hope and, yes, even gospel joy? Let us always be looking to our crucified Savior, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. But let us as well, and especially so in these days, be proclaiming the gospel, the joyful news that Jesus Christ came to die for our sins on the cross of Calvary, to be buried, to be raised again on that third day, victorious over sin and death in the grave. He came to save unworthy sinners, sinners like you, sinners like me, saved by grace through faith. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you our true and our triune God, the God who loves us in Christ. And uh, Lord, pray for those who are hurting, hopeless this morning, that you would give them your hope and even gospel joy in Christ. Lord, as they read your promises and your word, say seek your face in prayer and even sing your praises, Lord. Fill them anew and afresh with the joy of salvation. And if there are any, Father, who are not yet trusting in Christ, who who see that that hole, Father, that God-shaped vacuum, Lord, I I pray uh, that they would be crying out to you for your mercy, for your forgiveness in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our closing...